talk about acute treatment for an SVT. And I'd encourage anyone to look at the um, ALS algorithm for this. Um, and we will go through it, but actually just touch on slightly more of the, the practical aspects of, of, of actually implementing treatment. So as you will see from the algorithm, the, the first step is, is the patient's hemodynamically unstable, i.e. do they have those four features of shock, syncope, heart failure, or ischemia, whereby DC cardioversion would be indicated. Uh, otherwise, uh, you'd start with vagal maneuvers uh, to block the atrioventricular node, which can be, as we know, um, can uh, be diagnostic to uh, reveal the underlying uh, non-AVN rhythm uh, that's originating the tachycardia, or actually um, it can act as a treatment to terminate a rhythm. Uh, and the kind of typical examples are a modified balsalva and a carotid sinus massage. And practically, I thought it'd be worth just talking through how you do these two procedures. So a modified Valsalva, uh, essentially you sit a patient up, you get them to, uh, you get a 20 mil syringe that they put between their lips. Um, and the instruction is that you have to, the patient has to try and blow out the plunger uh, and they have to blow for as long as they can when sitting up. And after a few seconds, you lie them flat um, and then you lift their legs up. Um, and then a carotid sinus massage. Uh, so the key things here are ascultating the carotids to make sure there are no uh, bruits or, or make, ensuring they don't have a recent history of a stroke or a TIA, suggestive of an internal carotid um, stenosis that may embolize if you do this procedure. Um, and then for 10 seconds, you can, you can press the carotid at the level of the thyroid cartilage with the neck placed in the extended position with the head turned away, typically of the patient lying flat. So that's your uh, vagal maneuvers. Um, after that, if that fails, you move on to adenosine. Um, and this acts on A1 receptors and transiently blocks the AV node and can again be diagnostic and therapeutic. And essentially the, the dosing here is to, um, you give a dose to convincingly show AVN block. And so typically it's six milligrams, then 12 milligrams, then 12 milligrams, up to potentially 18 milligrams. And just a few practical tips. Um, administering them, you need a, a large vein uh, with a saline flush following administration. And the half-life of adenosine is around 20 to 30 seconds. Um, so you can look to give a next dose if you need to after about a minute. Um, now, importantly, you should uh, give adenosine with defibrillator pads on um, because there's a theoretical risk of around 5% of triggering atrial fibrillation and about a 1% risk of, of triggering uh, ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation. Um, and you should put a rhythm strip on uh, and have that uh, kind of being printed from the defibrillator machine uh, during administration um, to especially reveal any underlying rhythms um, if it's not an AVN tachycardia that's terminated. Uh, a couple of cautions um, when you're giving adenosine. Um, so one thing is to consider drug interactions and it's important to ask patients about uh, medications they're on. So theophylline and caffeine can reduce response. So it's always worth asking patients if they've had a drink of tea or coffee beforehand and medications such as uh, carbamazepine and uh, dipridamol can augment action. Um, so that's, that's something to bear in mind. Um, adenosine also acts on the sinus, sinoatrial nodes. If they have sinus disease, that can also induce a, a bradycardia from there. So that's important to be aware of. Uh, 
if you suspect they have an accessory pathway, that's a real contraindication to giving adenosine as it can essentially cause one-to-one -one conduction down the accessory pathway, potentially inducing ventricular fibrillation. Um, and in severe asthma, it can uh, it, it evoke bronchospasm. So asthma is a, a contraindication. If adenosine fails, the pathway would then be uh, non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers or a beta blocker. And then finally, DC cardioversion. Um, anything to add there, Balric, from, from that? Um, yeah, so just the reason, so just so it's very clear, if adenosine has failed, the reason you're using uh, a rate, uh, a negatively credential drug such as bisoprolol or rapamil is because you've therefore proven that this is not an AVNRT or an AVRT. So therefore your bisoprolol or rapamil will act to slow atrial flutter, atrial ablation, atrial tachycardia, or sinus tachycardia. So it'll work to slow every one of those. So that's why that's the next medical one after adenosine if it fails to terminate tachycardia. I really like your point about just going back. Um, adenosine is a diagnostic test. It's not meant to be uh, therapeutic. It just does happen to be therapeutic if this is uh, an AV nodal dependent tachycardia. And then again, that's sometimes the difference between uh, the medical cell, you know, use adenosine to treat this. It's not, it's actually, cut off often say, I know it's pernickety, but you know, this is actually a diagnostic test is adenosine. It's not necessarily the treatment because the treatment is therefore getting rid of the pathway um, if there is an underlying pathway. Um, uh, your points about the valsafran crotal are fantastic. The only thing I'd say is that, again, similar to the adenosine, because there's obviously the, the possibility that you might uh, terminate, ta terminate tachycardia or you'll slow it down enough to see the underlying mechanism. I would say, again, always do that with the rhythm strip printing and making sure that you're having the desired effect. So you will see this slowing, slowing, slowing of the heart rate. If you're not seeing the slowing, slowing, slowing of the heart rate, your modified Valsalva isn't working. Um, so I would say something like, interview. I would form modified Valsalva. Uh, I'd probably use the, uh, the awesome patient blow into the syringe technique. And I'd make sure that it was working by seeing the effect on the uh, the slowing of the heart rate on the rhythm strip that I was concurrently printing. That's how to show that you've got all that knowledge bonded into one sentence. Um, and then finally, adenosine. Um, yeah, I really like your point. I didn't. So there's actually drug interactions. I didn't. I didn't know. So it's uh, really nice. Uh, I'm just going to share a screen because everyone gets so incredibly worried about the. Let uh, me bring this up. Um, So this is where is it? so this ECG is um, a narrow complex tachycardia that is sorry is a, is a broad complex broad complex tachycardia that is irregularly irregular in rhythm. So what this is this is AF because it's irregularly irregular uh, with Wolf Parkinson's one. Actually, you can see. Uh, a slight difference. The, all, all the QRS, QRS complexes are exactly the same, and that's quite typical of uh, Wolf Parkinson White. So this is the one um, ECG or one tachycardia that you shouldn't be giving adenosine to, because obviously if you block then the AV node, everything will just go down the accessory pathway. And it's AF, then that will have a very high chance of inducing uh, the F. Um, so everyone just gets incredibly worried about that 
particularly ECG, so I thought I'd just show it uh, so people be aware of what it looks like and why it's important. So irregularly irregular um, QRS complexes, which are fairly broad looking. Uh, they're not necessarily sometimes broad as classical VT, but they're broad nonetheless. So they're a cusp of three, three, three to four small squares and sometimes different morphology QRS complexes as well. So this is one that you just do not give adenosine or AV nodal blocking agents to. Um, and yeah, I think that's the main one. And I think your point about the dosing, perfect. I mean, again, it says 6, 12, 12, but if you say something along the lines of, I would give enough adenosine to show uh, AV nodal block is exactly what you need to say. Uh, down a large cannula with a flush. Um, and I suppose they might ask you, what would you expect to see? And I suppose if you now knowing about nodal dependent and nodal independent arrhythmias, um, you can say, well, if it's nodal dependent, using that right terminology, you can say if it's nodal dependent, I'll see clear termination and no atrial activity, um, no necessary atrial activity straight away afterwards. Um, whereas with atrial flutter, atrial fib, sinus tachycardia and atrial tachycardia, you'll see halting of any QRS activity, but you'll see whatever the atrial pathology is of those four carry on. So it's very clear, you'll see really nice flutter waves or really nice atrial tachycardia or AFib or sinus tachycardia. So that's what was, they may ask you, what will you see if you give it adenosine? And this was a nodal independent tachycardia. That's what you'd see. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think I'd agree with that pre-excitation AF ECG is one to, to be aware of in life, but also for the interview, because it's definitely one that has come up. Um, okay. Um, now we'll move on to uh, chronic therapy treatments. Um, and a couple of the points to make here is that this really depends on the type of tachycardia, which we'll talk about. Uh, and also actually just to appreciate that this is typically led by an EP subspecialist. Um, and that's important to recognize at an ST4 interview. You need to demonstrate that you recognize your limits and are safe and would appropriately refer on a patient. Um, but to talk about the uh, nodal dependent uh, tachycardias, uh, We'll talk first about AVNRT, um, and there are different treatment options that are available. Um, uh, if patients are having kind of minimal short-lived symptoms, um, simply monitoring a patient uh, is not an unreasonable strategy. Um, providing education and advice, so for example, advising against things like high-intensity sports, which can increase the risk of reoccurrence. Uh, one can initiate medical therapy. Um, uh, with antiarrhythmic drugs such as beta blockers or calcium channel blockers um, and kind of your surgical aspect of approach would, uh, can include catheter ablation via an EP study. Um, so just focusing on the AVNRT, uh, Barrick, anything you, you'd further add? Um, um, no, so the AVNRT, you would essentially, the, treat, the treatment, if they have, if they have symptoms um, and are fairly bothered by it, catheter ablation is reasonable to try um, because it's relatively safe um, and you don't need to cross from the right atrium to the left atrium so you don't need to do a transept or puncture so the risks are relatively low it's done under local um, and it's a fairly high success rate because you basically um, for interest sake you actually ablate the slow pathway so you burn the slow pathway we call it a slow pathway modification um, and by doing that, 
the AV node can no longer have dual physiology, can no longer go down one pathway and back up the other. Um, so often, if they've got sin significant symptoms, we will just offer um, catheter ablation um, because it's relatively safe. Yeah, that's the key message, symptoms ablation. Um offer uh and then we but so I, yeah and i like your point it isn't awfully dangerous so this can be done can, can, can be done electively unless they get really troubling symptoms such as syncope but that's unlikely with the uh less like far less likely with avianarty um so generally this is a outpatient uh condition managed as an outpatient we don't need to keep these patients in mm. unless, unless there's symptoms you're really worried about if they just collapse in a bath or something which collapse too much yeah, I think that's really important to appreciate that differentiation of when it can be an outpatient, when it can be an inpatient and recognising those red flags um, of when you'd want to keep someone in. Um, uh, and then we will talk about AVRTs, uh, i.e. the presence of an accessory pathway and the treatment for that. Um, and it follows a similar structure of one can simply uh, monitor these patients if they're asymptomatic and have kind of no high risk features uh, and typically there's a, a figure quoted of an annual 0.1% risk of sudden cardiac death from a pre-excitation AF scenario. Uh, one can initiate medical therapy such as beta blockers, which can prevent SVT attacks, but it won't actually affect your sudden cardiac um, death risk. Um, additional th a medical therapy can include flecainide, with often a lot of these accessory pathways being driven by sodium currents. So a 1C sodium channel blocker uh, that will uh, reduce conduction down that pathway. And finally, uh, catheter ablation of the accessory pathway can provide a cure. That's the difference. And, and as indicated, as we've discussed more, if they're symptomatic, they're getting uh, kind of those red flag, dangerous symptoms of syncope, uh, ischemia, um, heart failure, and they're having recurrent um, episodes of tachycardia. Um, and these are typically uh, done after EP studies, which uh, Barrick has mentioned. Uh, anything more to add for the AVRTs? Um, so AV, AVRTs, I think these have the potential to have more worrying symptoms, especially with regards to pre-syncope or syncope. I think if someone have a, has evidence of an accessory pathway and they're resting 12 lead ECG and they have symptoms of pre-syncope or syncope, mm. that is someone who you have to assume is a having conduction down down that accessory pathway but b is also having concurrent af because basically what you're saying is they're so incredibly tachycardic that their cardiac output falls to such a level that they're no longer perfusing their brain uh, so therefore that really has to be af with af and wool parkinson white uh or yeah, just a very dangerous for Parkinson's what it's going this conducting conducting very quickly and you know, I don't know a very very quick signs that guardia but either way it's dangerous uh, and there's a very high risk of them degenerating into BFPT so those patients different hospitals do differently but essentially I know that in in my hospital we would keep those patients in and do them as uh, often catheter ablation as an inpatient um, other places would bring them in in the next day or two but essentially it's a fair emergency, to, you know, fairly urgent thing to try and get it done. So slightly different to AVN, AVNRT, which is relatively safer. Um, and again, obviously, if the pathway is left-sided, you will need to do a transeptal puncture. 
Um, but I wouldn't really get into that, that into your in, in the interview. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. And the other thing I think is really nice to pull up, um, especially in the interview, is uh, thinking about the patient's profession, because that also has a bearing on whether you'd offer ablation. For example, if someone is um, a pilot, um, and it's just a nice thing to put in, like, you know, if someone's a pilot, uh, they need uh, catheter ablation. They often need catheter ablation to remove the accessory pathway, even if they're not symptomatic because of the such high risk of them having an episode when they're flying a plane. Uh, so that's a nice one to bring it into you. I think it's a, obviously clearly a really five out of five points. Um, so yeah, thinking about their, maybe say something like along long lines of, I think about their profession uh, and high risk, such high professions such as uh, being a pilot uh, might change the kind of therapies that we would offer them, even if they were asymptomatic. Um, yeah, I think that five out of five nuggets a very nice way to end this knowledge with you. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, I know it is. Um, it's probably one of the things that worries people the most, but hopefully, this helps just just sit it down. There's only six types, and as you see, the nodal dependent, nodal uh, or nodal independent, and it's very clear what to do for. Yeah, so I think we're, there will be an associated attached clinical scenario, which you can now refer to after this. Great. Thanks very much, everyone.